We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Is For Podcast. We are in the uh, throes of season four and moving right along. Tonight is no different than any other night. We are here with Sarge. Would you like to say hello? I would. Okay, cool. Moving on. Monster? No, I would not Uh, like to say hello, but I am here. Well, what would you like to say since you don't want to say hello? Um, Time's up. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Uh, we, we have made it all the way to the letter F, and tonight F is for From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes. Um, no, not from Freaky Friday. I, you'd have to tell me which Freaky Friday we're going to cover. Are we going to do the one with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? Eh, I'm, I'm good. I don't, Fahrenheit I'm, 451. Yeah, no, not touching that one. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. See, these could all be future episodes except for Fahrenheit. Oh, it could be. <laughs> Freaky Friday? Yeah, Uh Maybe if we need a little more Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, a little more Lindsay Lohan, maybe. I don't know. We don't all know. need a little more Lindsay Lohan. Yes, sure. Sarge, do you want to tell me about your feelings about From Dusk Till Dawn? I enjoyed the first movie. I think the first movie was over the top, but so, yeah, I could watch that every uh, yeah, every every once in a while, I can't say I'd watch it every week, but I, I could watch it every once in a while. The the uh, television series was uh, hot garbage, and yeah. uh, I didn't care for any of the other follow ups that came after From Dust to Dawn. Uh, I'm also kind of a little jaded because to me, the best vampire movie out there ever was John Carpenter's Vampires. I actually never saw that one. Not to say I'm not going to. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Monster, who, uh, when you asked Sarge if he had seen it, uh, had a great rebuttal, which I'm going to steal from you when he, when you asked if he had seen From Dust Till Dawn. He said, I'm going to stab you with a brick, which I think is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fun response. Monster, I know that you have plenty to say about this movie. What is your love, your, I don't want to say hate because there is none, uh, your affinity yeah. for this? So when I was a senior in high school, Well, let me rephrase that. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had a friend who was a senior and he was real big into all these cult movies. And he was the one who got me into Evil Dead. Uh, He's the one who showed me Donnie Darko, Memento. And in the midst of all these movies, From Dust Till Dawn was one of them. And he basically said, don't read anything about it. Go into it completely blank and see what you think. And I I was floored the first time I saw it. If you don't know the story of the movie, which, big spoiler alert, if you've never seen the movie, you probably should watch it before you listen to this, because I'm sure we'll spoil the hell out of it. But it's two movies. It's it, And when it's going along, the first half feels like a classic Tarantino gangster picture and then it turns into evil dead 2 out of absolutely nowhere and my favorite movie of all time is evil dead 2 and i love tarantino movies so yeah this totally worked for me it it still works for me i've watched it i don't know probably 10 times over the years and i love it 
Oh, this is a fantastic movie. I was very late to the game when this movie came out. I was, uh, I think, 12. Sarge, I know you were uh, late 50s. And, you know, we just, we, we've had different approaches to it when we saw it for the first time. Anyway, no, love the movie first time I saw it. I don't remember how old I was when I first did. Like you, Sarge, I do share your opinions of the rest of the From Dust Till Dawn universe. Yeah, I'm hoping we're not going to go too deep into any of that because I've never seen any of it and I've never had any desire to. I don't have any desire to go too deep into it. I am going to touch on it just a little bit, but we're not going to go into great detail in it. And I know Bruce Campbell was in one of them, but that still wasn't enough to make me tune in. I don't think I completed the movies, uh, either one of them. I, I gave like two episodes of the show a try and just didn't no, no, Yeah. Uh, and Buster, I'm actually going to go off of something that you said that, yes, we will spoil the hell out of this. If we talk about a movie on this podcast and you have not seen it, you would probably be okay if you don't mind it being spoiled, spoiled for you. But I recommend stopping this podcast now. And going and watching the movie first. This is one of those movies where the less you know about it the first time watching it, the better it is. I, right. I do think as many times as I have seen it, it's I, I some of the most fun I've ever had is showing it to people who did not know what was coming. I feel like once you know, I don't want to say that it loses its um, enjoyment because it's still a lot of fun. But you don't have that holy shit moment like you do the first time it it all happens. Okay, so I'm just going to put it out there. This movie's 27 years old. Mm -hmm. So spoilers do not apply. No, I agree with you. I don't think spoilers apply because we're outside of... Have we ever actually established... 20 years. We we did, I think, season three is like 20 years. 20 years? Twenty years. Point, I thought it was like ten. Ten years. Yeah, I thought, I thought it, was it was ten. I thought it was twenty years because we were talking like I think it was like Back to the Future or some crap like that, and it was like either way. As someone who loves movies and wants other people to share the enjoyment, like I don't care if it's been ten years or fifty years. Hell, some of my favorite movies are almost a hundred years old. <laughs> okay, so I'll just give the disclaimer now. Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, there you go. Perfect. Yeah, there we go. If you want to watch it. Before you watch the movie, listen to this. Great. If you want to listen to this first, thank you for listening. <laughs> anyway, let's move on and let's dive into From Dusk Till Dawn. All right. 1996. That's how I know how old it was. <laughs> um, January 1996, directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by Quentin Tarantino. And this is uh, not cues for Quentin. <laughs> Again, it's just a Quentin Tarantino written movie. Sarge, shake your head all you want to. I don't care. I don't care. We will get anyway. to another cue. There's still we some will. Quentin Tarantino movies we have not addressed. It's true. It's true. So it's classified as an action horror movie. Fitting, although I think it should be a heist horror movie because the first half is a heist movie. Second half the is first, a horror movie. The first 20 minutes of it is about the heist. Essentially, the jail. Well, like you say, a heist. It's a jailbreak, isn't it? No, uh, they're on the run from a robbery. Um, 
in the opening sequence, the sheriff talks about that they had had killed some civilians and some police officers and stuff. And so they were they wanted to get these two guys. But I think I think it was a bank robbery that they had escaped, which this is the only second uh, the this is only the second movie of Quentin Tarantino's that he has a heist in it, I believe. I mean, I've seen all of his movies. And there's not actually a heist in any of the movies because you don't actually see the main event. Yeah, I was getting ready to say Reservoir Dog centers around a heist, but you Never don't happens. see the heist. <laughs> right. You see the direct aftermath of them running down the street. But yes, I think it. this I think I would classify this more as a uh, horror survival because a good how, how long was this movie? How many uh, minutes? 190 minutes, I think. I was going to say a little over okay. two hours, probably. So, so, so roughly two thirds of the movie is actually surviving the zombie, the, 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 the zombie, but the vampire apocalypse in his bar. Okay. So, so I don't... whoa, whoa. Okay. See, you jumped way too far ahead. Okay. So, I don't know exactly when it changes over. Um, I would actually say it changes tone when he, when they get to the T Twister, but. Uh, if you one of you guys want to find exactly when that happens, <laughs> you know, we could talk about it. So, okay. Now I know monster, you had actually asked me about part of this and I just have highlights about the story behind it, about, you know, how K and B became involved and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm going to touch on a couple things. If you have things to expand on, please do. But okay. Quentin Tarantino wrote the script as a way to show the talents of K and B because K and B, uh, he had actually, you know, known them for some time. And in return, for writing the script to showcase their talents, KB agreed to provide the ear effects or the effects of the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs for free. Pretty much. Yeah. So yeah. so from what I understand, uh, Shows you Robert, how long before this movie was made that the movie was written. Yes. So Robert Kurtzman, the K of KB effects, had this idea, he had like a 25-page treatment for this vampire movie in Mexico idea. And he basically wanted quentin tarantino to write the script so quentin said sure i'll write it and he did it for a flat fee i think he i, I saw in an interview quentin said it was like fifteen hundred dollars or something he said but i will write the script if you do the effects for reservoir dogs i have this scene where we're going to cut this guy's ear off and i want you to do it for free and they basically had a gentleman's agreement on it and then as time progressed quentin kept like stealing little bits out of the script for from dust till dawn um there's a couple parts uh, and i don't remember exactly but there's one scene where i think harvey Keitel is is giving a, a little bit of a talk and it was supposed to be the speech that samuel L. jackson gives out of pulp fiction um the, the, the scripture the ezekiel yes yeah yeah um, and so when it finally got into Robert Rodriguez's hands, he was like, we have to hurry up and make this or Quentin's going to keep stealing shit out of it and it's not going to be good anymore. So yeah. that's kind of how yeah. it ended up getting put into production. So you're right about the $1,500. And this was Quentin Tarantino's first writing gig. The, the first yeah. time he got paid for just writing something. Sarge, did you find, did you find, where, I don't know. Roughly, 20? roughly. Roughly 25 minutes into the movie is what everyone's saying. It feels longer than that to me. 25 minutes is when what happens? Is when a, in a, when Selma Hayek turns into a vampire. That's no. that's the, that's the way that's, later. Much yeah, later. It's gotta be longer yes. than that. Like, 
I I watched the movie recently, you know, to prepare for for this, and I remember it being much later than that. But I will go back to it and actually find I mean, when it happens. That's just and what it, they're saying on the internet, and I, I don't I don't plan on pulling up. And I'll find it. Internet is true. We know yeah. this. Everything on the internet is true. But like when they say right. sexy signals are in your area, yeah, they are. I'm in your area. No, yeah. you're not. I'm not saying we're in near his area. No, no. Anyway. Tarantino was originally set to direct the movie, but decided not to, so he could fully focus in on the screenplay and his role as Richard Gecko, which mm-hmm. I always said Richard Greco, and so I had to like make sure I wasn't putting the R in it <laughs> when I was putting the notes together. So, and he originally gave the script back to Robert Kurtzman. And he just couldn't commit because he had too many makeup projects and stuff going on. And so he showed it to Robert Rodriguez. And that's where Rodriguez said, we got to make this now before you keep taking stuff away from the script that you're writing. You know, fair play that you're taking stuff from scripts that you're writing to use in other scripts that you're writing. But no, not okay. (laughs) So uh, before Tarantino actually settled in on Rodriguez, he went to uh, Rennie Harlan who's best known for Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Adventures of Ford Farlane, Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, and Deep Blue Sea. So many classics. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, hey, you've made some shitty sequels. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Um, okay, and he took it to Tony Scott. Neither one of them would do it. And so then he went back to Rodriguez and said, hey, let's go for it. Okay, I'm going to have to correct you. Okay. It is the adventures of Ford Fairlane, not Farlane. Sorry, you will not disrespect Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, okay, I don't. I was gonna say, Danger. How could you dare? It's an American classic. It's a film we've all seen multiple times. <laughs> Please get the name right. Hey, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I've never liked Andrew Andrew Dice Clay. So anyway, do you guys know where the name of the movie is actually taken from? It's actually pretty obvious if you don't that's fine so it was actually something that was put up on drive-in theater signs to show the length of the movies they were showing the grindhouse movies and stuff saying they would run from dusk till dawn that is really cool and i did not know that (laughs) yeah it makes entirely too much sense when talking about tarantino and rodriguez and absolutely uh, all right so this was his first paid writing assignment universal pictures didn't want Tarantino to actually direct it. That's one of the things that I was surprised by because it's like at this point he's actually put out a couple good things. So and they actually wanted to put From Dust Till Dawn into the lineage of and, and make it part of Tales from the Crypt and yep. Demon Knight, but then they ultimately produced Bordello of Blood to fall in line with those. And um I could not imagine from Dust Till Dawn, being a part of those movies, especially Bordello of Blood. Never liked it. Just didn't like it. Yeah, I, The Tales from the Crypt movies, those from the 90s, are not awful, but there is definitely a... There's a big gap in quality between those and From Dust Till Dawn. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about the cast for a few. The main actor of the movie, the big star, Mr. Clooney, George Clooney, he was Seth Gecko. Mm-hmm. Also considered for the role 
was Antonio Banderas, Steve Buscemi, mm. Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, John Travolta, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, James Woods, and Robert De Niro. And like I have said before, it means nothing to me to find out that other people were considered for a role. Right. Because, you know, I think it was on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. I was saying, of course, other people were considered before Elias Kodas, who wasn't a well-known actor at the time. But I think he was considered a, a paycheck because he showed up. Now, I can't picture anybody else playing Seth Gecko. I can no. picture like Timothy Roth playing Harvey, uh, Harvey Keitel's role. I, I, yeah. I can see him, but I can't picture anybody else playing. I could get behind Nothing. that, but all the other casting, per- casting people were, were great. Even Quentin Tarantino, who I think Quentin Tarantino shouldn't have screen time as an actor because he <laughs> overacts everything. Oh, I and, love him. Oh, I love he's, him he's so much. He's a terrible much. actor, but he's so bad that he's fun. And which uh, it was while he was filming, he realized that his character didn't have that many lines and he wanted to course correct it, but he just couldn't because it was too late at that point. So, so I what, just I just purchased from Dust to Dawn. Okay. Right? And I just scrolled through it. Only reason why I did it was the best dollar ninety-nine of my life. And um it's at fifty-eight minutes. So approximately half the movie it swaps from literally, yeah. It's literally two movies. It swaps right in the middle. It's a heist movie and then a vampire horror movie. So yeah. so I will say George Clooney was pretty unknown at this point. He had done a lot of ER, but he was not a movie star yet. No, I he actually, this was his first Hollywood okay. movie. Yeah, this and was his first full-length film. The whole reason why he got this role was because Tarantino directed an episode of ER. And then he was like, hey, I like you. Which I want meant to go find that episode of ER more times than I can count. I feel like it's probably the bloodiest episode of ER. So, I'm sure it has something to do with some victim's feet, but I don't I don't know for sure. Probably, probably. There's uh, a victim lost a toe and it had to be re you know uh, reattached and was splurting blood the whole time. I don't know. Probably fun. You know, Quentin Tarantino liked the fact that there was the dichotomy of he was playing a doctor where he was saving lives, and then in this movie he was killing, <laughs> just by the bucket loads and yeah so uh it is uh motherhood is the name of the episode okay i okay, good to know. probably still not find it to watch it but i'd like to say i'm going to anyway actor joseph palato was originally supposed to play seth and there's a pilot trailer that exists to this day featuring joseph as seth somewhere I was now, not able to find it. I also didn't put a lot of energy and effort into looking for it. He's he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty cool. I like him. Um, what's his name? Uh, Joseph Pilato. P i l a t o. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. P i l a t o. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. okay. That I had the wrong guy. Joseph Pilato yeah. was in Day of the Dead. Yeah, um, yes. you were thinking he, of. Uh, Joe Palatino, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. that's who I was thinking about. No, uh, Joseph Pilato, he does a good job of playing a um, kind of an unhinged person. In in Day of the Dead, he does a great job. Um, but, you know, and I agree with everything you said, Danger, about Quentin Tarantino's acting skills. But uh, I still kind of love him when he's on screen. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. But I don't think he should have as much screen time as he gets. Honestly, do you know where I remember no. Joe uh, Joseph from? Where? In particular, 
Digimon. He was the voice of one of the Digimon and Digimon. Yeah, he did a lot of voiceover. Yeah, you've got more familiarity with Digimon than I do, uh, considering mine is zero. I have no, yeah, no interest. And all that in time Digimon. you spent on elementary school playgrounds, apparently. I mean, that was when Pokemon was big. Ah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, and we didn't watch, we didn't pay attention to Digimon because Digimon was a knockoff of Pokemon. Well, if this was yeah. Sarge's childhood, this would have been like bubblegum cards, right? Right. <laughs> Why do you call them bubblegum cards? They came with bubblegum in the wrapper, and it was always like a hard stick of bubblegum that maybe it's because called, I got to it. Like they were called later. trading cards, but they were called. Yep. So Seth Move. Gecko. <laughs> So then uh, next up, we've got Quentin Tarantino as Richard Gecko or Richie. Not much more to say about him because we know about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. He took the role because it needed to be filled, basically. So, all right. <laughs> if anyone could pay, play a psychotic serial rapist, it would be Quentin Tarantino all the way through. Yeah. There's <laughs> something about his back and forth with george clooney that is really endearing like the conversation it's very much big brother little brother i mean clearly so my, clooney is the one in charge but mm -hmm. tarantino comes in with that little brother energy and their back and oh, yeah. forth is fun so i think while george clooney is a good actor he's a fine actor I don't think he's a great actor i think he actually uh put a little bit more into this because he was acting opposite of the guy that was responsible for him having this job. And so he put a little bit more effort into giving that. And, and he wasn't a star. Like, I, I think you can say the same thing about like Robert Downey Jr.'s early career. Like eventually Robert Downey Jr. just turns into Robert Downey Jr. in every role that he plays. Whereas I think right here, George Clooney is still trying to establish himself as I'm not just some TV soap opera nonsense. I'm a legit actor. So I think he was trying a little bit harder. Right, right. So I want to talk about the Fuller family. So the Fuller family are named after writer and director Samuel Fuller, one of the primary influences on Tarantino and pulp cinema in general. Not familiar with Samuel Fuller whatsoever. Looked up his stuff. All of it, like the covers for all of it were very much uh, pulp cinema, drive-in movies, that kind of stuff. So, uh, George Clooney played in Return of the Killer Tomatoes before he did really? ER. Huh. Okay. Just look at that. I just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so, Sam, Sam Fuller was, I mean, he was kind of an exploitation guy. I, I, oh yeah. I don't think he ever had a lot of success in America. I think he was more more popular in Europe. I, I'm not familiar with any of his films either. And I'm a pretty big, you know, crap movie kind of guy. So I don't know. What yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like, I feel like Sam Fuller is basically a, uh, another Roger Corman. Yeah. And, and that is definitely what Tarantino loves. Ains. You know, that's yeah. right in his sweet, uh, his sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Harvey Keitel as Jacob Fuller. According to Rodriguez, as we said before, Ezekiel's speech from Pulp Fiction was actually written for Harvey Keitel's character and here because he is a, uh, a priest who is struggling with faith. Not actually not that he's struggling with faith, that he's just angry with God and yep. is having trouble, you know, mm -hmm. after his wife died and all. Juliet Lewis, who I mean, this 
hot take, maybe. I don't know. Juliette Lewis uh, is a terrible actress, just bad. <laughs> um, she has somehow fell into where people like her. I don't really like her at all. Uh, I think she looks like she's acting uh, like reading all of the scripts off of cue cards that are written on wet paper bags across the room. And uh, she's just trying to get the line out. So Juliette Lewis was cast because of her knowing Quentin Tarantino. Big surprise. She was in Natural Born Killers, who Tarantino wrote the screenplay, even though it was, you know, it's never been said exactly how much of his screenplay was left. And it's just, he got a story by credit. Right. Anyway, Tarantino liked her so much. He suggested that she play Kate in this movie, Catherine Fuller. And Ernest Liu, who's also another terrible actor, uh, if you watch in this movie, (laughs) never knows what's happening, ever. No, completely, like, clueless the entire time. Yeah. And I'm not from... I think in the beginning it actually says introducing, as if it's his first film. But I don't... He never had a career, right? He had a few movies after, and where it said introducing, it should have, like, the credits when they rolled said... Final film. <laughs> said, do and, not get used to this guy, Ernest yeah. Liu. Yeah. I don't think he's terrible, but I do think that just part of the wackiness of this film, like he clearly does not look like the rest of the family. No, no. <laughs> if I remember not. right, if I remember right, he's dropped out of acting. I'm sure he has. He did like yeah. four or five movies after this, yeah. and, and that was it. Four or five things. I don't want to say movies because I don't remember if they were all movies or what but anyway or five projects right so in this movie you remember how monster we have talked about how directors pay homage to other directors by putting mm-hmm. little things in movies in this movie he is wearing a precinct 13 shirt that was how quentin tarantino and robert Rodriguez paid homage to john carpenter as he directed assault on precinct 13 so yep that was his, uh, uh, and I didn't realize this till just recently, but Assault on Precinct 13 was Carpenter's second movie mm-hmm. after Halloween, which is crazy. What a what a way to start. Yep. Started with a bang. Yeah. That's all you gotta <laughs> say. All right. And now on to the lady that, say no if you want to, but as young teenagers, we all admired Selma Hayek a little bit more than we probably should have. He was 25 when they filmed From Dust to Dawn. Who was? Selma Hayek. Oh, uh, was she? Yeah. She looked good. She still she looks good. Great. All right. Selma Hayek has a real fear of snakes, which knowing that she had the uh, the snake dance coming up, she knew her phobia was going to be a problem. And so she worked with <laughs> a therapist to help her get past it. And every time she started to kind of you know, back out of the movie, uh, Rodriguez would say that Madonna was vying for her part. Complete lie. Madonna never had anything to do with this movie, but that was how he kept her on the hook and kept her coming back again and again and again. And it was only at the rap party that she learned that Madonna had nothing to do with the movie and never had a conversation with Rodriguez. She didn't have a choreographer for a choreographer, sorry, <laughs> a choreographer yeah. okay. for the dance because she said you can't coordinate the way a live snake moves. And so Rodriguez told her, just feel the music and move with it. And that band, that band has been in a few movies that I've seen and they all play the same song. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll mention the band just, just a little bit. Okay. 
Uh, what other movies are you talking about? What have they been in? They were in Desperado, the, the the first Desperado in the opening movie, the opening part of the movie, the first bar. There was only one Desperado, and then... No, there's two Desperados. Well, there's Desperado and then El Mariachi. And then... And then um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Uh-huh, but they also had, like, a stupid little spit-off one that they did. Oh, okay. It, it wasn't any good. It really wasn't uh, really wasn't Probably good. not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they were in they were in uh, Desperado when Steve Buscemi was telling about the uh, first bar that got destroyed. Yeah, that, was, that was pretty good. So, OK, I guess I'll go ahead and throw this in here now. Do you know what Robert Rodriguez does between takes and while he's trying to think about what's happening on set? No, what I don't he, know. him. What does he do? Well, I forget the name of the documentary Monster will know, but it, uh, he plays guitar. Like he oh. pulls out a guitar and starts playing. And actually, he's a guitar player in that band every time they've appeared on screen. <laughs> so that's the reason why they keep showing up in his movies is because he's a guitar player in that band. So oh, they're 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 a great band. I like really they're, they're very fun. talented, but well he's a he's actually a very talented guitar player. So he's he's a very talented man in general. He's got a lot of uh flags he flies, a lot of things he does. I don't know. Anyway, a lot of hats that he wears. He right. wears a lot that's... of hats. That's what I was looking for. Thank you for giving me <laughs> the simple three-letter word of hat that I could not come up with. It happens. It does. It does. More these days than it used to. So anyway, do you remember Selma Hayek's character's name in the movie? It was something weird. Start, I think I want to say it started with an S, like Santiago. No. It's and I'm gonna try to pronounce it. And okay, I didn't with catch it. how it was pronounced. Satanico pandemonium. I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Quentin Tarantino decided to use uh, Selma Hayek and he wrote the part for her after seeing her in Desperado. And I think this is really just a way for Quentin Tarantino to get Selma Hayek's toes in her mouth. That's really all it was. Uh, yeah. He's he's a toe man. That's that's very well known. Uh, Quentin Tarantino toe. Yeah. <laughs> so the name actually came from a gory Mexican horror movie the same name, Santanico Pandemonium, uh, that he saw, Tarantino saw, on the shelves in the video store that he worked in before he started making the movies. So, yay, callback for Mr. Tarantino. So, uh, before we get too much from, there's a lot of people that star in, in Tarantino movies that are just staples. I mean, Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, Harvey Cavill. You mean Kaitel? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, Kaitel. Yeah, you said Cavill. Sorry, now, I was just reading about that stuff too. Did, did oh, we address the fact that um, Cheech Marin played three different roles in this film? We we haven't yet. We haven't but yet. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, uh, just a couple people: Brenda Hillhouse, uh, hostage; Gloria Hill, the bank hostage; uh, mm -hmm. Mark Lawrence, and um, old timer motel owner. That's his actual official name in the movie. And Cheech Marin was the border guard. Also, a character by the name of Chet Pussy, and then <laughs> Carlos at the end, and then Marco Parks or Michael Parks was Texas Ranger Earl McGraw. All right, and then Kelly Preston was the news anchor who just has like a quick clip on TV, and that's it. And Kelly Preston was offered the role after meeting uh, Quentin through her husband John Travolta on Pulp Fiction. So. Yeah. 
yeah. So John Travolta turned the uh, the role down because he didn't want to do a monster or a vampire movie, and he took Pulp Fiction, which revitalized his career. But then his wife got work too out of the whole deal. So um, <laughs> after Quentin right. took one good look at her feet, he was like, "You're hired." Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Even though it was Selma Hayek whose toes actually ended up in his mouth. Not Kelly. We'll Preston, get there. We'll get there. We're yeah. already there. Yeah, already mentioned <laughs> it. Um, okay. So, okay. <laughs> so, Mr. Tom Savini, Mr. Tom Savini, the uh, the yeah. Uh, Tom Savini holds a special place in uh, all of our pets. I mean, hearts. Um, and his character's name, Sex Machine. Sex Machine. Yep. So <laughs> his makeup, his vampire makeup, took three hours to apply. Mm. And according to the DVD feature, it's which I don't know if you heard this because I know you have the DVD monster. Uh, when Sex Machine is throwing around other characters, Tom Savini actually punched many of the actors, including George Clooney. <laughs> One of the few actors that has actually decked George Clooney. And he says it's by accident, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. All right. Do you guys remember the additional appendage that Mr. Savini had in the movie? The I know you do, Monster. Pistol. Yes. Oh, absolutely. His crotch gun. Which could also be seen in Desperado when he opens up the guitar case. Yeah. So the crotch revolver has been... <laughs> Has been which crotch revolver? If you ever start, um, there it is yep. a country industrial metal band. Ooh, I, I know. Crotch yeah, revolver. I was thinking just straight eighties cock rock, but I yeah, think I've you got a say. point there. Yeah, which I also would like to hear country industrial metal. But anyway, it's been uh, the subject of much debate because it's uh, the recoil would be like punch yourself in the groin. The recoil. The yep. the reload. Where do you put the bullets? It's completely ineffective, but damn, does it make a good scene. <laughs> so Tom Savini spent time in Vietnam when he was in the army, and he actually said they would test recoil of M16s and other uh, weapons they had by putting them in different places. And if they felt like it was safe enough, they would actually put them on the human body. And the human or the M16 never left a mark by any means and they actually put it against their crutch and, and fired it now i think that was less them testing the recoil and then being like look at my cock cock right yeah my gun cock <laughs> so. can we isolate the audio of cock cock, cock, cock. <laughs> <laughs> sarge i feel like you have something to say about the weaponry Oh yes, no. please explain why the no. weapons are wrong. <laughs> no, no, I mean the the stance of reason you you can't you can't fire unless that thing was shooting like little three eighty rounds out of it, which it by the by the if I remember right by the looks of it, it wasn't. It's gonna have a hell of a recoil. It's really gonna make you have a bad day. Also, real quick, did anybody ever stop to think where's the trigger? Like, how do you shoot this thing? Nope. nope. <laughs> Thrust, you hip thrust. Yeah. Thrust. And if bang, the recoils if, if the recoil is bad enough, he's gonna be shooting blanks. Danny Trejo as Razor Charlie. <laughs> and Fred Williamson as Frost. Fred Williamson's character, Frost, is never said aloud in the movie. He's only given name in credits, and that's it. Correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, but Danny Trejo was already like in his fifties when he did mm -hmm. this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Danny Trejo was late to life off of the streets. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he he did. He had quite the story 
before he got into filmmaking, but he was already, I think, into his 50s. Yeah. So it's funny what, like, uh, I don't want to say he's a great actor because, you know, whatever, but the he's fact Danny that Trejo. he plays yeah, the same thing. Yeah, he does. But the fact that I he would never been... say that to his face, though. God, Ever. no. Uh, well, however, he seems like a very sweet man, actually. Like, and in, I, in I hear life. he makes great tacos. So. I've heard that too. But the fact that a hardened criminal who really didn't have much of a future, in, in all honesty, was able to turn it around. I mean, he's a real, like, like a true dream story. Like, I feel like he should get talked about more than he does. It's It's really impressive. I think the two greatest redemption stories in Hollywood are Danny Trejo and Robert Downey Jr. That's just, just my opinion. All right. And John Hawks as Pete Bottoms. And Tim Roth and Steve Ashimi were supposed were approached to play Pete, but neither one of them could fit in their schedules. And I feel like if they turned down the starring role of the movie, they would have turned down a character who has uh like four minutes of screen time at most. It's it's funny how early how early from Dust Till Dawn is in both Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's careers, but you still are seeing Tim Roth, Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, like those same names are already John Travolta. Like they're already right there, you know? So let's talk about the production right quick. Did you know that green blood was used for the vampires to get past the movie censors? Yes, I did. It actually, it actually did had a, yeah, it actually uh, was rated X, not because of all the boobs, but because of the blood that was spilled. And so we, they had to reshoot that part, those parts. And we will address this in some later episodes as well. The MPAA has no problem with certain things and gets right. really hung up on oh, other yeah. silly things. And right. for whatever reason, Evil Dead 2 went through the same issue. Mm-hmm. They don't like red blood. Make it green. Right. Make it purple. They don't care. But right. red blood? Nope. Not a fan. Right. So Rodriguez was actually able to uh, show that the, there were more cameras or make it seem like there were more cameras because he would do a lot of uh, close-ups of actors' faces faces and stuff and make it seem like there was more going on because it was a very, very limited budget. And I use the same techniques in El Mariachi and it's actually become a staple of his to do that. Those zoom shots on, on actors and stuff. A lot of the body parts were recycled by Tarantino and Rodriguez (laughs) over the years because due to the heavy number of special effects, the film had to be strictly budgeted. So scenes would not have to be cut. And there was only six full body vampire suits made to be used as a climax. And so it was kind of like a one shot deal when they used them uh, in the final movie, the same six actors play all of the vampires getting killed over and over in the same shots. The dummies made for shots where vampires exploded and they just used the same body parts. Like they would pick them up from one shot, place them in another one and then reuse them and go on and on and on. So as, as a big horror movie guy that loves practical effects, some of the effects in this film are just glorious. They're so fun and campy, but they look good and they, they play well on screen. But there are a couple scenes that, it, especially in today's, you know, 4K Blu-ray transfers, that it's like, oh, well, while that one's exploding, there are three vampire dummies just standing there. <laughs> like, it's right. kind of silly. 
Right. And uh, and I will say some of the actual like quote unquote transformation scenes are hey, at the time they were pretty cool, but they're kind of dated by today's standards. But it kind of adds to the charm, kind of the low budget fun. Yeah. Now, Monster, I don't know if you were going to want to talk about this part, but I'm just gonna hit it real quick. The character Earl McGraw became a recurring character throughout Rodriguez and Tarantino's movies, and yep. he appeared in uh Kill Bill. Planet Terror and Death Proof, which means because he dies in this movie, those movies are chronologically before this, even though this movie is almost like stylistically dated, which I think is funny. If you want to have an aneurysm in your brain, try to figure out the Tarantino Rodriguez timeline. No, I haven't wanted an aneurysm before, so I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I've already said, I had one of those, I'll pass. Here's the thing. Tarantino and Rodriguez really have fun with using a lot of repeated characters, repeated elements. What is it? Red Apple Cigarettes, Kahuna Burger. Yeah. Yes, like they they both have these reoccurring themes and they love to use the same actors and similar roles and all this stuff. But I don't know that there's actually like a chronological uh, time that you can put these films in that is actually legitimate. I think it's just all in fun. Right. Let's move into the actual movie itself. And I just kind of want to run through it. Going to just kind of hit highlights of it. So put it this way. Basically, all you need to know is there's two guys on the run. And they go to a bar, and it turns into a vampire movie for 45 minutes. Next segment. All right, so you know how George Clooney has that terrible tribal tattoo? Yeah. It was actually George Clooney's idea, because he had just seen uh, Once Were Warriors. Never seen that movie myself. But it was his idea to have that makeup touch, which was a terrible choice, in my opinion, because I hate like those like that style. Of it's not all about you. It's not, you're right, but uh, I can imagine it is. So the liquor store, Mr. Pete Bottoms, and I decided to put this detail in here for you, Sarge. Yeah. The liquor store standoff. Yeah. He pulls out Smith & Wesson Model 66 357 Magnum. Who's he? Pete Bottoms, the, Ah, the, the, the liquor store clerk. John Hawks. Yeah, John Hawks. Right. The poor man's Orlando Bloom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. He looks so much like Orlando Bloom. He does. He does. He does. You're right. So, okay. Um, let's just cross the Mexican border and get to <laughs> the titty twister. Now, so, before you jump all the way to there, I will say okay. that there is a lot of fun stuff here. Um I, I really do think George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino play off each other really well. Um, I will say one of the one things that I, I really like about the first half of the film is Tarantino's psychotic visions or episodes. There's a couple parts where he sees things and responds to things that aren't actually happening. And I think that's kind of a cool little allude to the fact that, Hey, this shit's about to get really weird. Like 
you're on this fairly grounded trip here for about an hour, but there's little hints peppered in where it's like, hey, this might go off the rails, so pay attention. Okay, so 100% agree with everything, but I think that the fact they put that in about Richie's character was a really strange choice because it's like these little details that don't really pay off anywhere. These little things. And so I think that actually there was more to do with that in the script that Tarantino took out parts to use in other movies and just never filled in those holes. And it was just, the movie was done and they go, Oh yeah, by the way, we never did that, but we're going to go ahead and edit finish the movie anyway. I mean, I think some of the stuff in there makes sense for, for those two, for both their interactions, right? I, I, I unfortunately have older siblings and younger siblings. Um, and the amount of times I've wanted to elbow them in the face so they shut up, I can honestly relate to. Yeah, um, I get that. The desire to fulfill a promise to take care of them, which was the Gecko brothers' big thing, is the older brother is supposed to take care of the younger brother, and he constantly says that. And then the 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 culminating with the fact that he ends up have to kill his own brother. Spoiler alert: he'll have to kill his own brother towards the end of the movie, anyways. Yeah. So and and to okay. your point, Danger, I actually kind of disagree. I think it could have been real easy to just play Seth as this kind of like, yeah, we're gonna do this, blah blah blah, blah and Richie just go, yeah, and just kind of like you know make them one and the same. But instead, well, does say yeah a lot already, so it would have been perfect. Uh, actually, I was going to bring this up earlier. If you want to have a fun drinking game, watch the commentary with the two of them. And every time Tarantino says, "All right, take a drink," if you make it to when the vampires show up, you're a better man than me because that <laughs> dude is just all right, all right, like it's. God, I don't think I would make it to where he rapes and murders the hostage. <laughs> It, Probably just, not. No. Yeah. He says all right and yeah, a lot. And I'm sure and I'm sure that Tarantino was like, "Hey, it's really important for Richie's character to like stare at Juliet Lewis's feet for a couple of minutes. Just, it's it's important to the plot." Right. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Did you know? And I'm sure you could find this because I found it. If you look up actual TV spots trailers for this movie, it is not the titty twister. It is the kitty twister. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and, and the neon boobs are blurred out. Oh, I love it. Now, this is one of the times that we saw Cheech Marin. Now, if we take a step back a little bit. Now, I know that I just kind of skipped over it because I did. The first time we see Cheech Marin in the movie is when they are crossing the Mexican border. A cool little detail. A fun, fun fact, if you will. If you look at Cheech Marin's name tag when he's playing uh, the uh, <laughs> customs agent, his name is Oscar Marin, which is his father's name. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Thanks, Cheech. Okay. Anyway. It's very fun, especially when he spends way too long leering at Juliet Lewis on the toilet. It's fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Right. It's a Why good not? Time. Right. Yeah. Why not? Which, yeah. which kind of blew my mind. She was in her 20s, I think, when they made this movie. I, I would have sworn she was a teenager. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. And, and, they, and I mean, she that's part of it. 
Well, yeah, and and that's part of the the film. Like she's supposed to be young in the film, but yeah. like the fact that she was twenty was wow. I didn't I didn't realize that. Right. I tried to put together a list of all of the different type of pussy that the titty <laughs> twister has, but I actually found about four conflicting lists, and so I was like, you know what? None of this is. Um, I can't use any of this because I let can't me be honest here. I'm pretty sure that if you actually read through the list that Cheech Marin gives, um, we might get taken down. Yep. I do know it's that, aggressive. Uh, oh yeah, very. I do know that it's smelly and hairy and um, apple and pie. Apple pie, right? Um, yeah. Do you remember the final line that he says? If you uh, find cheaper, yeah, F it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't want to say it. All right. Good. All right. Good. So let's jump inside now, Sarge. Uh, we talked just a little bit about the band um, mm-hmm. and how Robert Rodriguez is a guitar player of the band. Did you know that the drummer for the band is uh, Oingo Boingo drummer Johnny Vatos Hernandez? No, I yeah. did not know that. And do you know who the lead singer of uh, Oingo Boingo is? Not related to this at all. I do. Who is it? Who is it, Monster? Danny Elfman. That's right. That's right. Hmm. It's Danny Elfman. So, so do you know if our listeners go to podbean.com slash danger sarge, they can get a free month of podcasting services. They can try to do this for themselves. Of course, you know, terms and conditions are going to apply when you do the sign up. So make sure you read that fine print. But again, that's podbean.com slash danger sarge. So there you have it, everyone. Did you know? That that is my favorite part of every episode because I don't know when it's coming. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, Sarge does not tell us when he's going to put it in. That's he because just, it's got to segue just, it. I mean, you got to try to find a segue that. I'll be honest works. with you, it's never smooth. It's <laughs> not, but it's never appropriate. But God, is it good? It like your yeah. transition is about as smooth as a shot of gasoline, uh, and nobody wants it, but we get it. And actually, I really thoroughly enjoy wherever you could squeeze that in. I'm not. I'm not being sarcastic. I it brings yeah, me great no, joy. No, so I, we uh, we're gonna have to play a drinking game to it, and like everyone, like pick a pick when, like write it down without telling anybody when you're gonna try to do it. See who gets closest. Mm. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I like. I would have gone with you know who's not in the house band, Podbean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the exterior set for the Teddy Twister. Uh, actually burned down at one point and I uh, actually delayed filming, which considering that uh, they used all non-union workers for this movie, uh, it actually really set things back because there was a lot of workers that were like, not my job <laughs> and peace out. So the Teddy Twister set was built in the hot ass desert of California, which uh, what's the name of the documentary monster? Full Tilt Boogie. Yes, and it's a great documentary. I highly recommend it. But you see, like, you feel hot watching when they're showing the out the exterior parts of things. Because they, just... they filmed the vast majority of the film in Mexico, correct? Um, well, in the desert of California, like right there at the Mexican border. Okay, okay, right at the, the border. Okay. Yep. They try to get it as authentically Mexican as they possibly could without it actually going like into Mexico. It definitely feels like right. it. Which, speaking of Mexico... Do you remember the whole thing about uh, Seth getting a beer and what the bartender said to him? So bartender said to him, 
that this is a bar for bikers and truckers. Oh, and yes. Harvey Keitel comes in and, and like a hero. And he's like, well, I have a license that says that I am technically a truck driver because he has the RV. And right. he's like, okay, fine. And then the bartender says to him, after Seth says, I want a beer, he says, they only have Mexican and domestic. And since they're in Mexico, all they have is Mexican beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So gun penis comes out. Bar fight happens. Vampires abound. And then yes. the uh, the house band turns into vampires and they play a uh, body guitar. And yeah. I, <laughs> which yeah. explained, but doesn't need to be. And so then Seth, Kate, and Scott escape into a storeroom. And then Jacob comes hobbling in. Because he's uh he's taking some damage, and uh, he pulls out his uh Winchester model nineteen twelve shotgun. Sarge, the weapon. Yes. The weapon names are for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I did. Because it's highly important. It is highly important. So the Winchester, it's not just a Winchester model nineteen twelve shotgun, but it has a Butler Creek tactical synthetic loop four grip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then this is where they put together their weapons to which they're going to go back out and fight the vampires. And these weapons include a stake mounted on a pneumatic drill. So just a crossbow, holy water. And they found super soakers. Right. Yeah. Which they put the holy water in. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So what was the holy water put in like condoms or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They use those as like grenades. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the crossbow real quick. The crossbow starts with an arrow in it and three on the side. And the entire time, those arrows never move. But she still keeps firing shots. And the only way that I found any explanation for it was that it's firing bolts. And then at the end, the arrows go away because it's like, oh, she's used all the arrows now, even though she shot way more than seven shots. (laughs) So, well, ah. there's... There's some crossbows out there. There are some crossbows out there that are kind of like magazine fed almost. You could feed the magazines in there like like the old school uh M1 like Grands. Yeah. Yeah. You feed the bolts into them. That way when you shoot them and you cock it, it brings another one up into the loop. Look, we're not talking about cock anymore. We moved past the penis gun. I was Monster. getting ready to say <laughs> there's a dude with a dick gun and we're talking about how crossbows work nobody cares that's not the point the point is look at this ridiculous green blood going everywhere and let's not forget the sex machine for no particular reason turns into a giant rat like right none of this shit is supposed to make any sense and that's no. what makes it fun which uh some of the sounds for the rat were actually robert rodriguez's baby oh yeah <laughs> That's hilarious. Not, now, it was never said what sounds the baby was making and if they were distorted or, or what. But so the morning comes and this is a thing that I actually had a problem with the first time I saw the movie and I have a problem with it every time. So the bullet holes in the walls, lights start shining through. And so they start blasting all the walls. And in my research, I found lots of other people had a problem with this too. So they start blasting all the walls, which lets light in. If the sun's rising, it's only going to be on one side of the building, oh not on all sides of the building. So then uh, the third Cheech Marin shows up, <laughs> Carlos. Carlos comes to meet Seth uh, to take him on into El Rey, 
which the name El Rey pops back up and mm-hmm. Rodriguez and stuff. So Carlos, who was supposed to actually be played by Eric Estrada and was lined up and dropped out last minute for no reason. And then they were like, hey, Cheech, you want to play another one? And so <laughs> they get another role. He kicks the door open. His bodyguards kick the door open and just sees stuff everywhere. And it's like, so it's like, why'd you choose this place? It's like, seemed like good as any. And that's the only explanation you get. So then Seth takes off for El Ray, leaving Kate with money. And uh, he negotiates down his uh, 30% entry fee into El Rey, you know, the safe haven for criminals. And then he drives away in a 1990 Porsche 911 uh, Carrera, which if you want to look it up, it's an ugly ass car. It's one of the worst Porsches they ever made. Anyway, they were on a budget uh, of 19 mil. Right. So then uh, the end of the movie is it reveals that the Titty Twister is uh, the top of an Aztec temple. Great movie. Go watch it if you haven't. So. I have been researching the sex machine crotch pitch, uh, pistol, which you can buy or bid on on yourprops.com. I'm looking at it, and there's no way to reload this bad boy. Like, this is a one and done. Okay. Did but, you find uh, the trigger? Yeah. It, it, it appears to be a metal wire that comes out of the back of the pistol. The back okay. of the barrel. So you just so you, you like pull, pull your like like a lawnmower. I guess like you try to pull start your dick. I don't know. It's just now if it starts going, rah, 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 you, there, you know dick. something's gone wrong. Finish. How much is it going for? I'm I I'm looking right now. I have not seen it come up. See, if it's three digits or less, fellas, we might need to we might need <laughs> to figure out a way to purchase this. Yep. Okay, so major before it was released January 1996. Now, on a $19 million budget, in the United States, it grossed $25,836,000. Internationally, $33,500,000 for a worldwide total of $59,336,616 total on a $19 million budget. It's a return. Kind of. Put it this way. It's not like a, oh boy, that's a return, but it's enough to spawn a couple of shitty sequels. Right, right. It's enough to get somebody's attention. But of course, nowadays, it doesn't take actually making money to sponsor sequels. Yeah, but there's a reason there are two sequels and a middling TV show versus eight or nine sequels and remakes and et cetera, et cetera. So in uh, May 1996, the film was banned in Ireland. Um, the head of the Irish Film Censor Board, Seamus Smith, uh, cited its irresponsible and totally gratuitous violence. And this was in the wake of the Port Arthur massacre, which was a mass shooting April 1996 that killed 35 people, wounded 23 others. And that was uh, the worst massacre in modern Australian history. And then the Dunblane massacre, another shooting, school shooting, um, 16 dead, 15 injured. So it was banned in Ireland until not that long ago, um, it uh, got uh, opened back up in 2004. It was actually re-released, or it was actually released out to the public with an 18 certificate. But going back to the video nasties episode, monster, we talked about how when there's stuff like that's put together, it makes people want to go find it and watch it. So I exactly. guarantee this was all over, especially with the internet. So and, and, all right. and just just for just so I'm clear, the Irish guy's name was Seamus. Really? Yep. Yep, Seamus Smith. Yeah, no. you, you know, you, I don't. You hope it's a less Irish name. 
Yeah, like you don't want to give in to the stereotypes, but then it just there it is. Yep. As someone who is like mostly Irish, like, damn it, man, don't be named Seamus. You look more Irish than I do, but I am a lot Irish as well. Uh, I think like half Irish, but Uh, yeah, yeah, we're both kind of 50 50. Yeah. Let's talk about how it was received. It's only got a 63 on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, but, and that's a critic score, 76% for the audience. One of our favorite reviewers, Mr. Roger Ebert. Yep. Gave it three out of four stars. So what's really funny. Yeah. So what's really funny is I watched their little back and forth on this and Ebert was actually pretty positive about it. He thought it was pretty cool. It was fun. He liked the fact that it was two different movies. It was Siskel this time who had to be a Debbie Downer and was like, yeah, I don't think it's really good. I like the first half. The second half's different. So he didn't get it. And yeah. and I will say, this is definitely one of those movies that, hey, you either get it or you don't. And if you don't, yeah. hey, that's okay. But if you get it and you kind of just ride the wave, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I did watch their back and forth and it, it was actually kind of funny. So he described it as a skillful meat and potatoes action extravaganza with some added neat touches. Yep. So yeah, I'll, I'll give it that. Sure. Janet Maslin at the New York times said uh, the latter part of from dust to dawn is so relentless that it's a spigot of uh, a spigot has been turned on and then broken. Though <laughs> some of the tricks are entertainingly staged. The film loses its clever edge when its action heats up so gruesomely and exploitatively that there's no time for talk. So, okay. So one thing that crossed my mind when kind of revisiting it, revisiting this and and looking at some of the uh, reviews and stuff, part of my mind did go in this idea. What if there was a whole film that was very much like the first half, and then there was a whole film that was very much like the second half because they're two very different films. And I feel like if you took the first half and just made a movie out of that, it would feel like a pretty stock Tarantino style film. And then the second half would feel like a very stock B horror film. Mm-hmm. I think both would be cool on their own, but there's something about the way these two are spliced together there's not a lot of films that do this. No, there's not. And Which I give it credit for. I mean, we don't we don't see this ever. You're right. Absolutely. So pretty much all of the reviews that I saw were kind of the same thing. You know, uh, let's talk about the video game. Real quick. Oh, let's not. Yeah, can we video- skip that? <laughs> okay, but I what I think is interesting about the video game is the video game came out in 2001. And it's based on the events directly after the film, which then if we jump to talking about the sequel and the prequel, which two is a sequel, three is a prequel, three is a sequel to it. So it's the events after which are nothing of nobody the events of the cares. Game. Yeah, no, the, the 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 sequel and the prequel were were bad. There has been talk of a fourth movie for years with Dear God no. With Rodriguez coming back to uh, direct and Tarantino okay, to write. maybe, maybe. Right, right. If that happens, I'll watch it. Monster, I can, I, I can turn him off. You want me to turn him off? Oh, yeah, there's a backstage function. We can just eliminate him. <laughs> we can do the dad jokes, just you and me. 
All right, it's now the Sergeant Monster Show. Danger is out. <laughs> so, all right. Now, now I will say there right, is only on. just real quick, just real quick, because I've been researching the cock, cock the the cock pistol. Okay, <laughs> there is only one other. Um, what's where I would use genitalia firing device out there that I think genitalia. Yes, that 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 tops the cock. The, the what we'll call it the cock shot. Okay. And that's going to be the twin, uh, what do I want to call it? titty machine guns from Machete Kills. Also a Robert Rodriguez film. I, exactly. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean. So Quinn I, likes I, feet. I actually never saw Robert it, so. Rodriguez likes appendages that shoot fire. Okay. All right. Okay. And in, in, um, uh, Austin Planet Powers, Terror, too. Well, in Planet Terror, he did have the leg gun. Holy yep. shit! Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, I I I think we uh, I think we kind of narrowed I, I think we nailed what they're <laughs> into, think. what their their thing is. All right, so to round it out, real quick, it inspired a series for Rodriguez on his channel, El Ray Network. It ran for, uh, I think it was three seasons. I don't know. I didn't even put it in here because the show was terrible. Mm, but it yeah. just it expanded on the uh, Aztec mythology of it um it ended production in 2016 with deadline hollywood reporting the actors had been released from their contracts as of october 31st and do you guys know what the uh franchise is titled in brazilian portuguese and i love this no i do not which uh, i actually think the name of this would make a great horror b movie in brazilian portuguese the franchise is titled A Drink in Hell. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's not it's called bad. The, it's called a Drink in Hell franchise. You know. Yeah. So it's not bad. It's not bad. Fun. So that is from dusk till dawn. But did you hear about the vampire who only had one fang? Hmm. He had to grin and bear it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you call a vampire who uses coupons? What discount? Mm. Very good. I mean, I, I have a monster one, but it's not a vampire one. Oh, please, yeah, please. What does the sea monster eat for lunch? Fish and chips. Mm. Huh. I like it's it. It's not bad. What did the polite vampire say? Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Why do vampires chew gum? Why? Because they have bad breath. Ah. Oh God. All right. Sorry. I've got one more. Okay. You, sorry. Right, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Yes. I apologize now. I apologize now. What do you call a cow with a nervous twitch? I will take my shirt off again. I swear to God. Beef jerky. My God. <laughs> <laughs> So Monster was pretending to break things and he actually broke things. I broke things. Okay. How are vampires like wizards? How? They are necromancers. So why don't mosquitoes ever bite vampires? Professional courtesy. Uh, What did one ocean say to the other ocean? 
Nothing. Nothing. They just, they wave. just wave. Yeah. Hey, you need to step your game up, sir. You have uh, more kids than the rest of us. I am trying. I am uh, trying. We we are equally matched with children. So yeah. All right. Thank you for coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We always appreciate it. If this is your first time listening, please go back and listen to some old episodes. Uh, the first half of season one, uh, oh, we were still figuring maybe out what we're doing. Maybe don't go back that far. Yeah. Do uh, not season... do season one, episode two. Don't do it. Don't. Yeah, start around three or four and you'll be okay. Yeah, we, we know my first go of Back to the Future was not good. Yes. Hey, hey in your defense... A's not much better. Okay. So you're good. That's true. That's true. I mean, again, we season were, one figuring it out. Yeah. We yeah, were getting our yeah. sea legs. So, all right. Please hit us up. Uh, Danger and Sarge across all platforms. Uh, Danger and Sarge at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for a uh, a topic, if you do go back and listen to old episodes and would like us uh, to revisit an episode, expand on a topic, please let us know. We may have to wait for that letter to come around, but we'll see. So, thank you for coming back. As always, I uh, I appreciate it. Monster appreciates it. And Sarge appreciates it as well. So, Ramblers, bye. Later. Later. It's over. Done. Done.